0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org/podcast.
2: Oh uh, wait, you're listening. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All
0: right. <clears throat> you're listening, listening
3: to Radio Lab.
2: Lab. Radio Lab from WNYC. <laughs> W-N-Y-C- <laughs> See? Yeah.
0: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> I, I know nothing except one very weird word. That's right. Okay, so... Hey,
1: this we'll is Latif Nasser. Okay.
0: And Lulu Miller.
1: This okay. is Radio Lab. And today... All right. I'm
0: ready for your story, wares.
1: We're going to start with a mystery about the universe that I stumbled across in my kid's bedroom. Oh. Okay, so... About a year ago, I was putting my son to bed, my two-year-old son. You know that moment where it's like, okay, it's time, like I'm boop in the crib, right?
0: <laughs> Spike the football, run out of the room.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> so as I was doing that, I like looked up to the adjacent wall at this poster that we have up. Uh, kids' poster of the solar system.
0: Real on brand for the Nasser-Mensch family. Yeah,
1: very on brand. (laughs) And I would say
0: it's a, a little bit more detailed
1: than the average children's solar system poster, which is, you know, why my wife and I picked it in the first place. I get that. So anyway, I look at this poster, it's on the wall, and I, like, notice something, which is that Venus, on this poster, um, Venus had a moon. And I was like, that's weird. I don't remember Venus having a moon. Huh. But like, what do I know? I don't know. You know? <laughs> right. So I put my kid to bed. Huh. So then I went back to my bedroom, and then I just look up on my phone, does Venus have a moon? hmm And the first thing that comes up was a NASA website, and it says, Venus does not have a moon. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But then the next morning, after my son wakes up, I look at the poster again, and on the poster, Venus very much has a moon, and not only does it have a moon, the moon has a name. Okay. Wait, I'm actually going to have you read it. Okay, one second. Okay, so I'm unrolling the poster here.
0: Oh, oh, oh it is in high detail.
1: Right, okay, in here. Tell me what this moon is called.
0: Okay, I'm straining my eyes here. Ve. Zuzve?
1: Yeah, Zuzve. (laughs) Okay. When you see the name, I'm like, that's too weirdly specific to be an accident.
0: Right. That's not just like a poster designer being like, a little dot would look cute here. Like that's it's labeled. Okay.
1: Right. Okay, so then I started Googling Zuzve.
0: It's a nice Googlable word. It's
1: a very Googlable word. And there's There's nothing. Like, like they were literally no results in English. What? The results were all in check. Huh. And they were about zoos. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not the thing I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. Yeah. Where do I go from here? Uh, hi. Hey, Latif. How are you? I'm good. How so I called you? up my friend. Uh, her name is Liz, Liz Landau. It's just like a space nerd, but then also you as a professional space nerd. She has spent the last 10 years working with the media department at NASA. Oh. And before that, she used to be CNN's space correspondent. Okay. And so I told her, I showed her the poster. Zuve? Zuzve. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's, like, supposed to be a moon for Venus.
0: I've never heard of
1: those. Okay. There are no moons of Venus, right? Right. Hm. So, at this point, the next logical step... Your signature is very cryptic. Yeah, I've, I've changed it to just writing my name now. ...was to track really nice. down the person who made the poster.
0: Oh, oh, good. Okay.
1: A guy named Alex Foster.
4: I'm an illustrator, and uh, I'm from Margate, which is, like, the southeast coast of the UK. And
1: I was basically like, did you... Put Zuzve on here as a joke? Like old map makers would make up fake towns. Or
4: like a little hidden signature or something? Or is it your dog's name? Um, no, no. Basically, I don't know. I don't know about this stuff. Like, I wanted to make a solar system map. So I looked online and did a bit of research.
1: He says he found a detailed list of all the moons online.
4: And there it was. z double
1: But then when I tried to find that same list, I couldn't find it. Uh, I mean, I was, like, scouring the internet and nothing.
0: Huh. Weird.
1: But then, around that same time, I got this text from Liz.
0: So, in my head, because you had said Zeus Bay, I was like, oh, it's Zeus Bay. It's Zeus Bay. But then... I sort of, like, looked away from it, and I looked at it again. Yeah. And I was like, what if What if it's not Z-O-O-Z? What if it's 2002? And so I just Googled 2002 V-E, and I found this object. What? Oh. Which I did not know existed before.
4: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's probably my writing as well. Like I, I write in all caps. I thought it must have been said rather than two. And so when I told
1: Alex about the mix-up, he realized he'd misread his own notes. And I thought the the names they made more sense. <laughs> 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 Anyway, okay, okay. So, So long story short, there is a thing next to Venus, and it is called 2002 VE.
0: It was discovered in 2002. That's why it's called 2002 VE.
1: 2002 VE 68, if you're being technical.
0: Yes. But it's not a moon of Venus?
1: So I thought that there was a simple answer to that, but it turns out there isn't. It's it's not a moon of Venus, but it's also not not a moon of Venus. Okay. Because... 2002 VE, which I'm just going to keep calling Zuzve, is a mischievous, weirdo character that defies long-held rules of our solar system and upends, at least for me, the way I think about the entire universe. Okay, so we humans first discovered Zuzve thanks to a cultural moment of astronomical angst. March 23rd, 1989. In the late 80s, early 90s, a couple things
2: happened. Billions go about their day, oblivious to the approaching global killer.
1: First of all, this asteroid, 4581 Asclepius,
2: so scientists report that a huge asteroid had a close... Came close. Mankind's closest encounter with a deadly asteroid.
1: Around that same time, geologists find evidence in the Yucatan that it was an asteroid. A gigantic asteroid. speeding object. That wiped out the dinosaurs. Then, just a couple years later... A
2: comet named Shoemaker-Levy 9 rained down on Jupiter.
1: Scientists actually watched, for the first time, a comet smash into a planet. And before long... People's creeping sense of fear of what else might be out there Now we look to the skies for our nemesis. Turned into it's Only a matter of time. an all-out asteroid frenzy. The comet we discovered is the size of New York City. In the 90s, you get asteroid blockbusters like Deep Impact.
0: Oh, oh, and um, Armageddon. The United States government
1: just asked us to save the world. Yeah. Anybody want to say no? Not to mention Judgment Asteroid. your man. A horde of B-grade movies and TV. Nice. And all the while Our
4: movie is very much based on fact.
0: Could the latest sci-fi blockbuster become fact.
1: People keep spotting <laughs> real-life asteroids and comets. The comet of the century, Yakutake. Hill, Asteroid
0: 1997, XF-11.
2: And the anxiety just compounds. If it had struck, it would have had the effect of 40,000... Nearly 2 million... 300 million... No. 500 million
5: Hiroshima-type bombs.
3: 2028, that could be our last,
1: uh, our last time on Earth. Now imagine bundling up all of that fear and anxiety and plopping it on the desk of this guy.
2: I mean, I actually have no formal training in astronomy, believe it or not. Really? Because that's basically what happens next. I just have a BS in physics, which I just barely got. (laughs) So this is Brian. I am Brian Skiff. He does, in fact, work in astronomy. At Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona. I am a uh, research assistant. Apparently, he's sort of like
1: a legend over there. Like, basically, since the 70s, he's been there, like, every night (laughs) and day (laughs) and holidays and weekends. (laughs) Anyway, so back in the 90s, during all of that asteroid frenzy, Congress got concerned enough that it sent a mandate to astronomers all over, asking them to figure out what else is out there. And so Brian and his colleagues kicked off this brand new asteroid scavenger hunt. Is is that how you pronounce it?
2: Yeah, the Lowell Observatory Near Earth Object Search. NASA likes acronyms when you put in grant proposals. (laughs) And what they did was... We refurbished a wide field camera of a special kind. Essentially, their job was to scan... A substantial fraction of the sky... Every single night. Hmm. And what they were looking for were... Potentially hazardous asteroids. What they call PHAs. Asteroids
1: that could be the killer, and it is in this nightly hunt that Brian discovers Zeusve. Okay. It looks like an asteroid about the size of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, okay. Imagine something kind of gray and pockmarked and potato-shaped, and it's a PHA. Oh. Soon thereafter, people do a bunch of calculations about it and they're like, it's technically within the range, but it's very, very unlikely to ever hit Earth. Yeah, this is not one of those. Okay. So at that point, Zuzve seems so unremarkable that Brian kind of mentally crosses it off his list of things to worry about
2: and. I had no notion that I had even discovered it. <laughs> forgets about it
1: entirely. Huh. But, fast forward a year, and... (laughs) Can
5: you see my face?
1: I can see your face. Zuzve catches the attention of this other scientist.
5: In Finland, my name is pronounced simply Seppo
1: Mikkola. Back in 2003, Seppo was an astronomer at the University of Turku, studying...
5: Celestial mechanics. Basically, orbits. It was very simple, actually.
1: Seppo says that when he first noticed Zuzve, he realized it was in a... Very
5: strange-looking situation.
1: As in, its orbit didn't really make sense. So, hello. Sepbo calls up his colleague, whose name is Paul. Paul Wigert from Canada, whom I also called.
3: Not huffing and puffing too much from coming up the stairs, and I think I'm
1: <laughs> good to go. He's also an orbit studying astronomer at the University of Western Ontario. Yes. And he says in order to fully understand how weird Zeus's orbit is... Let me
3: think about the best way to explain this. So You have um, to
1: understand this so one fact planets, about the solar system.
3: It's an ironclad rule of our solar system...
1: That every celestial body moves in an orbit. And even though it can get gravitationally nudged around by other things near it, it primarily orbits one thing. And so the moons
0: orbit planets. The planets orbit the sun. Wait, but moons... Doesn't a moon technically orbit the planet and the sun?
3: The answer is sort of technically, but we're actually talking about something different.
1: What we're talking about is like, it's almost like a primary partner, right? The sun is pulling on everything in the solar system. That's true. But moons, including ours, are much closer to their planets. So it's looping the planet. And that's what Paul says objects in our solar system generally do. Everything hula hoops one bigger thing. Yes. Got it. Now, Seppo and Paul look at Zuzve.
3: Making careful calculations, computer simulations,
1: and so forth. And what they find is it's being pulled around by the sun's gravity. So it orbits the sun. That's its primary partner. But weirdly, even though it's orbiting the sun, Venus is also keeping this tiny gravitational toehold on it. And because of that, while Zeusve is going around the sun... It actually stays
3: relatively close to Venus and loops around it. It circles Venus too. To our amazement, it's orbiting both.
0: So Zuzve is like in a in a poly relationship with the sun and Venus? Yeah. Which, by the way, nobody has ever seen before. Revealing, if you will, the first
3: quasi-moon known in our solar system.
0: Quasi meaning just... Like a small moon?
1: Quasi meaning neither moon nor not moon. It's this mysterious in-between thing that's the first anyone has ever discovered anywhere in the universe.
5: Quasi moon or quasi moon, which one is correct pronunciation?
1: I when you say it, I like quasi because it sounds like crazy. <laughs> and it really is kind of crazy, because Paul and Seppo realize its orbit takes a close
3: both to the Earth and to the planet Mercury. It actually is quite a large distance from Venus
1: at times. And not only that,
5: I wondered where it came from. Seppo
1: actually computes Zuzve's trajectory backwards in time.
5: And I found that 7,000 years ago, it was actually way closer to us.
1: And we flung it away. Ah. And now it's off dancing with Venus. It's this free spirit dosy doing around the solar system.
0: So, like, Latif, this is neat, but it does seem like just one sort of weird little pebble out there ping-ponging around in in the whole solar system. Like, why, why has it captured your attention? Why do you care about it so much?
1: Okay, so much of it goes back to the poster right? Hmm. The map.
0: In your kid's room.
1: In my kid's room. But really, at least for me, in my head, and I think kind of in all of our heads, the solar system diagram that we all see in school. And it's like you have the sun and then you have all the planets. And it, and it's like a, a beautiful, perfect circle inside a circle inside a circle inside a circle inside a circle. And they all have
0: like tracks, right? They're rails. Right. And it's predictable. You can keep your watch by it. Totally. Like, this is just Earth. This is the speed she goes. This is her rotation. She'll be back here at this station, this time next year. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's a clock. We live in a clock, right? Right. And that's basically what scientists have thought of the solar system for millennia, right? Like, okay, so when I was in college, one of the things I studied was the history of astronomy. So you go back 2,000 years, right? You have Aristotle and the Greeks. They were writing about... Perfect crystalline spheres all nested one inside the other. And then 1500 years later, you have Copernicus and the whole scientific revolution. You move the sun to the center instead of the earth. The circles become ellipses, they're more like ovals. Uh, the planets get their own moons. But still, it's, it's a new version of the clock. Hmm. Everything is still moving in graceful nested curves in predictable ways, right? And and that's how I always envisioned everything moving up there. Right. But then Zuzve doesn't seem to fit neatly within that system. It's, it's a weirdo. It's a rule breaker.
0: But but don't you think Zuzve is still operating within a bigger clock? Like it might still just be following different rules.
1: Sure, there are rules. There are definitely rules. But the thing is... Zuzve is following rules that we can never fully grasp. It's a three-way dancer, not a two-way dancer. So it's not on those predictable rails. And because of its polyamorous relationship with the sun and Venus, it actually presents sort of a mathematical conundrum known as the three-body problem.
0: Three-body problem.
1: Okay. Basically, the three-body problem is this idea that if you're... Tracking mathematically trying to predict and understand these two bodies that are circling one another or orbiting one another, their gravities are pulling on one another, like the Earth and the Moon, or the Sun and the Earth. That's totally doable. Very clear math, you can do that. Okay. When you literally add one other thing, when there's three bodies, which is, uh, Zuzve is a third body, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, the math becomes exponentially more difficult to the degree that
5: mathematically, it's impossible to follow it. You just cannot calculate where Zuse
1: is going to go next.
0: Mm, that is really counterintuitive. I, I would expect that, like, the right physicists or astronomers with the right, right math, it's like, OK, now you just also have sun pulling, so it'll right. go. You
1: think it's like juggling balls. Like it's like juggling three balls is not that much harder than juggling two balls. Right. Right. But this is like, literally, once you add the third ball, it's like every mathematician drops all the balls.
0: It like becomes unknowable?
1: Yeah. It's only possible to do it for a certain amount of time. It's like you can't predict it more than a little while out. Like, for example, we know that Zuzve is going to leave Venus at some point. Oh. But we don't know what it's going to do after that. It's a mystery.
0: Okay. That is exciting.
1: And by the way, Zuzve is not... The only unpredictable free spirit out there in the solar system. It's just the beginning, because since 2002, scientists have started finding lots more of these quasi moons. Mm. And these other quasi moons, some of them behave in even weirder ways than Zeusve does.
0: Huh? Okay.
1: There are the Jovian Trojan asteroids.
3: Even though they're orbiting Jupiter, they don't circle it. They actually stay ahead of or behind Jupiter as all of them go around the sun. There's a group which always stay in front of it, and another group which
1: always stay behind it. Like secret service agents or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
3: something like that.
1: Then there are horseshoe quasi moons, which look like they... Start out in front of the planet. Orbit partway around the planet. And then they stop and slow down. Turn around, go back the other way.
0: Wait, how do they stop and slow down and turn around?
3: (laughs) It's the planet's gravity that causes this advance and retreat motion.
0: Weird.
1: It's gonna get weirder here. There's some um, that do like a comma shape. Hmm. Like back and forth. <laughs> and those ones are called tadpoles.
0: <laughs> That's cute.
1: And Earth has a bunch of quasi moons too.
0: We do? How many have they found?
1: There's at least like seven of them, I think. What? And all of these are all different. Like we have some Trojan moons, we have some horseshoe moons.
0: Wow.
1: And so so now when I think of that same map it, it it's you know it's it's like it's full of all these weirdo characters all dancing around like a like a
0: fantasia you know well so it's not like we're not stuck in a clock we're we're what we're we're like we're in a club?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's like it's like Venus hooked up with this random asteroid <laughs> at a club. And they're dancing together.
0: <laughs>
1: but then at the end of the night, they're gonna part ways and who knows where they're gonna go next. Yeah,
0: there's so much unknown. It's like you don't know right. you don't know who you're gonna dance with next.
1: Right. And I and I would rather live in a club than in a club. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah,
0: no, I feel that.
1: And there's one more thing actually. When I was talking to that Finnish scientist Seppo. Um, I asked him what he thought about Zuzve, because I mean, like, like this is a guy who has spent his whole career mapping out where objects will go next in the solar system. Yeah.
0: Like building the clock. He he's been a clockmaker. That's right. And so
1: so so I was like, okay, what do you feel about Zuzve? How do you feel about the fact that Zuzve is so unpredictable?
5: Mm. Nothing.
1: <laughs> so he was like, This is not a new idea um this is not a new thought for him and in fact he he never really thought of the solar system as being knowable in the first place
5: if i could predict everything then we would just believe that everything has been determined.
1: But it's not predetermined because, Seppo says, Zuzve is just an exaggerated version of of what he has already known.
5: Everything gravity between them.
1: Everything in the universe is pulling on everything else. The three-body problem, it does apply to Zuzve, but it also applies everywhere, which means, you know, in the long term...
5: Everything is impossible to predict. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because very tiny things can change everything. If I do this with my finger...
1: So at some point, Seppo, he just he picks up his finger and he starts like waggling it side to side.
0: Hmm. Like scolding you?
1: I had no idea what he was doing. And then he was like, look... Just by doing that with my finger, just now,
5: I may have changed the Earth's orbit.
1: I might have changed the Earth's orbit.
0: Wait, and is that really? That's like that's not just hubris, dream thinking. That's that's like a f- astrophysicist who understands the forces of gravity saying, "I, I could have for real, real."
1: Yeah,
5: it becomes obvious after some billions of years. <laughs> Very tiny things affect everything when there is enough time.
1: And for me, like like for Zuzve to enter my life in this totally random way, because some illustrator accidentally put it there, and it ended up in my kid's room, and then Zuzve itself was this, you know, promiscuous rock star that let me in on this secret <laughs> that this place we live in is stranger and more connected and more filled with chaos and possibility than I ever thought. Like yeah. that's what I want and that's what I want my kid to go to bed thinking mm. about every night.
0: Okay, that is pretty beautiful. Yeah. Right? That gave me that gave me the shin tingles. Zuzbe, right? Zuzbe, right. Go, Zuzbe. <laughs>
1: Um, Okay, so Lulu, this was supposed to be the end of the story. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: Felt like an end.
1: But uh, it felt like three ends. (laughs) But as I was reporting, this other possibility opened
0: up. Uh Uh-huh. And
1: I just could not, I could not resist. It is a way to put Zuzve on the map for real. what do you mean? I'll explain after the break.
0: Okay. How do you solve a problem? Like a Zuzve? How do you hold a moonbeam in your hand? You can't because gravity, and we're going to follow her. Zuzve as she tears another hole in the universe into a new possibility. Okay, continue. <laughs> uh. Radiolab is supported by BetterHelp. Whether it's already 2 a.m. on a fun night out, graduation time, a new year, we can find ourselves wishing we had more time, wondering where it all went. But there's a question. If we were magically given that time back, what would we do with it? Perhaps you'd spend more time with a friend that you've lost touch with or petting your dog or just noticing the sweetness of doing nothing. The best way to let those special things into your life is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority going forward. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable online therapy that comes to you. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Radiolab today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Radiolab.
1: Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org podcast. Hi, I'm Adam Grant, host of the podcast Rethinking, a show where I talk to some of today's greatest thinkers about the unconventional ways they see the world. On Rethinking, you'll get surprising insights from scientists, leaders, artists, and more. People like Reese Witherspoon, Malcolm Gladwell, and Yo-Yo Ma. Hear lessons to help you find success at work, build better relationships, and more. Find Rethinking wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so this is Radio Lab. I'm Latif Nasser.
0: I'm Lula Miller.
1: Back to Zuzve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when I was talking to Paul Wiegert, remember, who's the guy who helped figure out this was a quasiman. Yeah. He said this, like, one line, kind of not even what I was asking about. But, like, once he said it, I couldn't unhear it.
3: All asteroids, when they're first seen, are given what's called a provisional designation.
1: 2002 VE is just the name it got auto-assigned when it was discovered. Not its final name.
3: Oh. An asteroid can be named... Only after it is considered to be sufficiently well studied and sufficiently well understood,
1: and two thousand and two VE sixty eight is now at that point. Yes,
3: but it has not yet been assigned one.
1: And it hit me like two thousand and two VE sixty eight is a is a terrible name. It, it, it <laughs> like sounds like a car serial number. <laughs> yeah. It's like what if David Bowie was named two thousand and two VE sixty eight? It just doesn't feel right. Yeah,
0: it's not the right name for this beautiful. Creature in the sky. I hear that.
1: And that's when I got the idea that I, we, have got to name it.
0: Wait, can can you do that?
1: Well, so I asked Paul, like,
2: who's in charge of naming asteroids?
1: The
3: privilege of suggesting a name goes to the uh, discoverer.
2: It turns out that is me. So I went back to Brian Skiff, the guy who discovered Zuzve. In the early days, one was encouraged to be you know, imaginative. He's discovered over 50 asteroids and has named a bunch of them. In the early 80s, we had four asteroids numbered consecutively. We named them for the Beatles. I have the letter from Ringo thanking me for his asteroid. die nice. <laughs> He told me about a bunch of other weirdly named asteroids. There's names of tropical flowers that a guy in Belgium was naming. Hmm. There was a Swiss astronomer that named it for his favorite airline, which is Swiss Air. So random. An astronomer named one for his cat, Mr. Spock. Oh my
0: god.
2: <laughs> so the asteroid isn't named after the Star Trek character? Not named after the Star Trek character. <laughs> wow.
1: And and hearing him say all these names, like it just occurred to me. Do you think it would be possible to actually name this thing Zuzve?
0: Oh, my God. Yes.
2: Yes. Uh, Yes. I guess that is possible.
0: I mean, it it has to be. You have to immortalize the typo. It needs to be Zuzve.
1: It should be Zuzve. It
0: wants to be Zuzve. There's no better name.
1: Like, even just for search engine optimization. (laughs) Like, there is nothing else called Zuzve out there. It's not going to get confused with anything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So now, theoretically, you just have to, like, send a request to the powers that be, and then they will name it? Yes, yes, and and you are thinking favorably of
2: naming it Zuzve. Oh, I wouldn't think of that at all.
1: <laughs> you would not name it Zuzve.
2: No. Um, but I think uh, the answer is no.
1: <laughs> the answer is no. Okay, can I can I make a case to you? <laughs> And so Lulu, as you know, I am nothing if not persistent. System. That's like my number one superpower.
0: <laughs> this is so true.
1: So illustrator mistook 2002 for ZO. I tried to make the case. And in the process, I realized I, I actually I had forgotten to tell Brian the whole story behind the name Zuzve, like with the poster and everything. And when I did. Oh, wow. So it's a, it was a mistake. Wow. <laughs> it was a mistake. <laughs> So he made an error but I kind of fell <laughs> in love with the error.
2: Wow. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of interesting.
1: And there's nothing else in the whole world
2: called Zeusve. Zeusve. <laughs> Would wow. you
1: like to name this asteroid Zeusve?
2: <laughs> It'd be interesting if the story of this mistake could be uh compressed down to 300 characters.
1: Brian was, was like, was "Okay, look, it's it's a great story and all, but in order to submit the form to request the name, everything you're telling me has to fit in 300 characters or less. Okay. Yeah, I can write the heck out of those 300 characters. Can I, can I write the heck out of those 300 characters and send it to you to send it? Yes. We could do that?
2: Yeah, sure. That's enough of a, a little twist that that would be very interesting. Right? To see if it gets by the, uh, the naming committee.
0: Wait, wait, naming committee?
2: Yeah.
1: So basically when Brian submits the name, it would then have to be reviewed
2: by this group called the IAU. The International Astronomical Union.
1: Those are the name keepers, name deciders.
2: Yeah. Well, a committee under the IAU gets to do this. It's called the Small Bodies Nomenclature Committee or something like that.
4: Well, the official term is the Working Group Small Body Nomenclature. Which is a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. So we do normally just call it the WGSBN.
1: It's very cool what you do, uh, but, but I do think maybe you need a better name. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Gareth Williams. He's an astronomer who worked at Harvard for many
4: years and is the secretary of that working group. Rumors that I'm an alien are, are not correct.
1: I'm glad you clarified.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I would typically work 100 plus hours a week. And so the rumor went around that I wasn't human. Anyway, so Gareth explained that the working group is... Responsible for naming asteroids and comets. And it's made up of... uh, 11 voting members who are astronomers who live all over the world. We have a couple of members in the US. We have members in the Czech Republic, Russia, China, Japan... New Zealand, and Uruguay. As I understand
1: it, it's their job to rubber stamp the name choice of the discoverer, who, again, is the one with the
4: naming rights. Well, we don't call them naming rights. We call them naming privileges. Because if it's a right, they could argue, well, you can't tell me what I want to name it. Right. Yes, we can, because it's a privilege, and we have to vet what you want to say. So I very quickly
1: figured out that it's a lot more than just a rubber stamp, and that Gareth and the entire working group
4: Take that vetting pretty seriously. We don't allow political or military names unless the person, if it's a person. No names of products or companies. Are there
1: like people wanting to name things after themselves? You
4: can't do that. No names that are too generic. No names of pets. Mr.
1: Spock caused a bit of controversy. Scientific animal names are okay though. Right. No names that are acronyms. Yeah. No names longer than 16 characters. Yes. And there are lots more.
4: Oh boy. But. There was one rule in particular that stuck out to me as a potential problem. Yeah. Any object that approached the Earth closely should have a mythological name Hmm. because no person should have an object that could hit us named for them.
1: If for some reason that object did, you know, turn to Earth or destroy the space station or something like that, they don't want it all over the news that like 51054 Ellen DeGeneres, you know, was the cause (laughs) of that or whatever. Right. Anyway, so only mythological names. And even though there's no way Zuzve is approaching us anytime soon, because it's within a certain range of Earth, it does fall under that rule. Oh. And are there ever exceptions to that rule?
4: Not really. Okay. People try and say, can I slide on this? No, you can't. If we let you slide, we'll have to let everybody slide, which makes a mockery of the rule.
0: Oh. Oh. Not looking good.
1: Yeah, but still, I thought to myself, I convinced Brian. I, I could definitely convince
4: Gareth. Some people are just very persistent. And and well, does persistence pay off? Do you find? No, no, no. Persistence just annoys me.
1: <laughs> okay, interesting. Good to know. Although
4: I'm, I'm very, I'm, I, I maintain my cool. Okay. But internally, I'm seething. Really? Oh my gosh. Okay, this is very good information to have. <laughs>
0: London. you are so out of luck. You're doomed.
1: Maybe. But remember, he's just one person out of 11. Basically, it's a majority vote. Okay, so hypothetically, how how does one make their case to these 11 people? Do you, do you all gather together to discuss the proposals in some marbled hall somewhere? <laughs> marbled hall.
4: <laughs> no. We don't have formal meetings. They do everything online. Any member of the working group can log in to the website to a special interface and vote on the names whenever they feel like it. Got it. Basically, I I just became even more convinced that it all goes back
1: to that, you know, that 300 character statement, Mm. because that's what all the members of the working group are looking at when they cast their vote.
0: Okay. So what did you end up writing? Here is
1: the sentence. Are you ready? Okay. So I actually did call Brian back to read it to him before he Submitted it. Here it is, and it's 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 actually so the the requirement is three hundred sixty characters, oh, okay. and this is actually only two hundred and eighty seven characters. So we got even gravy if there's <laughs> something you want to add in there, like whatever. There's 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 room. Okay, here's what I got. As the first quasi moon ever discovered in the universe, this object deserves a name as rare as its orbit. When artist Alex Foster drew this object on a solar system poster for kids, he misread the temporary name 2002 VE as Zuzve, thus coining this original, odd, and memorable name.
2: That sounds fine. Yeah? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, we might, you know, change kids to children and, you know, very minor tweaks, but... Okay, great, easy, done. It sounds fine to me. Do you think they'll? Do
1: you think they'll do it? What do you think is going to happen?
2: I guess I don't have a good feeling for that.
1: Okay, so after that, Brian officially submitted the name proposal to the working group. Okay, and our sense was this kind of thing usually takes a couple months. Right. That was about three and a half months ago. It took every fiber of my being to not email Gareth a million times.
0: Yeah, you've got to sit on the on your hands or you have to restrain your natural personality. Sitting on my
1: hands locked up my keyboard. Don't spook him. Yeah, totally. But then we scheduled
0: Oh my god. Are you about to are you about to tell Okay, okay, okay. Keep going. So we
1: scheduled a time for when he would have the verdict. Mm-hmm. Yep. I hear you. Oh, great. I can hear
4: you. So we got on the phone for the moment of truth. Okay. Let me just check my phone. <sighs> great. For the, I'm logged in on my phone to the voting site. Okay. Let me just check. Uh, let me just refresh the page. Oh
1: my gosh. This is so dramatic. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm holding my breath here. I've got to sign in again.
4: Urgh. Gareth, you're killing me. <laughs> Alright, I, I have to log in again to the site. Annoyingly. Sign in. And this time I will save the password. Save. This
0: is cruel and unusual.
4: (laughs) Okay. Um, As of yet, the decision on Zoos V has not been finalized. (gasps) Okay. Okay, and I mean, finalized. Meaning we don't have a resolution as of yet. Oh, okay.
0: Wait, they still don't know. They're still waffling <laughs> over there in the in the naming the stars land committee.
4: It's uh, there. Was, we're still waiting on two members to vote, and uh, I sent them both emails uh, last night. And this morning, <laughs> thank you, appreciate it. <laughs> well, it turns out it turns out one of the people
1: who hadn't voted yet had COVID, oh. which is why they didn't vote.
0: All right, you got to send them some soup, okay? But in the soup, the alphabet letters can only spell Zuzve. <laughs> Subliminal messaging here. You gotta you gotta send them a voicemail that forward says but backwards says. okay
1: what i did do instead was i just tried to get any information i could can you tell us where where the vote
4: tally is now i can't i can't give you numbers okay was it close um i can't be more specific like needle any intel i could
1: out of him have you already voted oh yes what, can you tell me what you voted? No, I can't. But. Okay, okay, okay. All right, no problem. Yeah. So we, so basically, we just have to wait.
0: Oh. um, are you okay, Logic? Are you? Are you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't have an answer.
1: I'm just patiently waiting on the edge of my seat, uh, not knowing I'm,
0: what's ahead of you, much like Zuzve. Right. Themselves. Okay.
1: Wait, but but he did actually.
0: <gasps> yes.
1: Say one thing. Can you tell me if it's in which direction it's leaning?
4: It's leaning four.
0: Oh, <gasps> really? For Zeus Bay? Yes. Hey! hey, hey, hey. Oh, Latif, that's good news!
1: <laughs> We're very close. Could go either way. Like any
4: group, there's a conservative wing, there's a liberal wing, and there's a middle-of-the-road wing. Are, who are the two holdout votes? Where would you put them on the spectrum? Uh,
1: middle-of-the-road. okay. Huh? Swing votes?
0: Oh, they're the swing. Oh gosh. Well, what? So, what does that make you feel?
1: I mean, it, I mean, it just opens it back up. It could go either way again. I don't know. Yeah. it's like vote counting on the Supreme Court, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. So we'll just keep we'll keep hoping. And uh, when are we going to find out? In
1: a couple of weeks, I'll come back at you with an update.
0: Okay. Yes. Call me any time of day or night. I I am now invested. Yeah.
1: This episode is reported by me, Latif Nasser, with help from Akedi Foster Keys. It was produced by Sarah Kari. Original music and sound design contributed by Sarah Kari and Jeremy Bloom, with mixing help from Arianne Wack. Fact-checking by Diane Kelly and edited by Becca Bresler. Special thanks to Larry Wasserman and everyone else at the Lowell Observatory, as well as to Rich Kramer. Thank you to the IAU and their Small But Mighty Working Group for Small Bodies Nomenclature, as well as to the Bamboo Forest class of kindergartners and first graders who also have small bodies. Um, Liz Landau, who you will remember, cracked the 2002 VE mystery. You can hear her work on NASA's Curious Universe podcast. Also wanted to give a special mention to illustrator Alex Foster, who gave us a bunch of those solar system posters. They are beautiful and of course feature everyone's favorite Venus adjacent dot. Uh, the first 75 people to sign up for our annual membership program, in The Lab, will receive a free poster. And I believe he even autographed them. You can sign up for that at radiolab.org join. For existing Lab members, look out for a discount code in your exclusive feed.
0: Radio Lab was created by Jad Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Dylan Keefe is our Director of Sound Design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, Akadi Faustra-Keys, W. Harry Fortuna, David Gable, Maria Paz Gutierrez, Sundu Nyanam Sambanan, Matt Kilty, Annie McEwen, Alex Neeson, Sara Kari, Alyssa Jung Perry, Sarah Sandback, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. Our fact-checkers are Diane Kelly, Emily Krieger, and Natalie Middleton. Hi, this is Susanna calling from Washington, D.C. Leadership support for Lab science programming is provided by the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative, and the John Templeton Foundation. Foundational support for Radiolab was provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation.
1: Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org podcast.
2: I'm David Remnick, and each week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, my colleagues and I unpack what's happening in a very complicated world. You'll hear from The New Yorker's award-winning reporters and thinkers, Jelani Cobb on race and justice, Jill Lepore on American history, Vincent Cunningham and Gia Tolentino on culture, Bill McKibben on climate change, and many more. To get the context
5: behind events in the news, listen to The New Yorker Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts.